social media, Christian news, and now secular news networks like Fox and NBC have been picking up the story of what's going on at Ashbury University. The event has drawn thousands of people seeking the presence of God, and Christians are wondering, is this thing legit or what? And if it is, is this part of a localized movement or part of a larger move of God? We'll talk about details, we'll talk through scriptures, and we'll actually dive into what some students, some Christian leaders, and what some skeptics are saying about all of this, also that you can grow in wisdom and in discernment. And I'll actually share some of the thoughts that I've had and that I haven't heard anybody else talk about on the internet, and what this can mean for us as men, men who are eager to lead our homes and our families in the way of the Lord. So let's jump in. Asbury University has had more than five occasions in the last hundred years where prayer meetings, and worship services spontaneously turned into revival. The most recent occasion started on February 8th, 2023, after a regular meeting at the chapel service just never ended. And so here we are more than 10 days later and secular media outlets have now picked up the story and helped spread the word even further. Reports and videos are filled with student-led worship and amazing testimonies of God's power in the lives of the students and of the visitors, some of them who've actually traveled from across the country just to be in the atmosphere. And as expected, there are people who are skeptical about all of this. And they wonder if this is just another social media sort of, you know, viral moment or a legitimate move of God. And I get that. We're so used to seeing things show up on our feeds. They trend for a bit and they just fade. And so these people, they worry that this is just hype uh, from some fanatical charismatic Christians out there. Now, here's my concern with this argument. That thinking can unknowingly serve to callous our hearts towards the move of God. And we want to choose to navigate this wisely, of course, but also remember that we have to approach life with childlike faith. And so I would much rather show up like a fool going after God than look like I have it all together and not move at all. But some social media influencers, they've gone as far as saying that, you know, social media is just maybe causing this to you know, have a lot of pressure on the students. I mean, come on. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? You want to talk about pressure? Try feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and two fish. That's pressure. Have we really gotten that soft? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us to test or examine everything and hold fast to what is good. And that's exactly what we should be doing. But this verse starts in the middle of a sentence and it is in context with all of the surrounding sentences in the same paragraph. You would agree. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit, but you quench the spirit when, just like you quench a fire you know, that you want to let die. You stop feeding it wood or you cover it so it gets no more airflow, right? So you can sometimes become so enamored with rationalism that we can think our way away from God. Stay with me here. That's what skepticism can turn into. So imagine the disciples tried to rationalize everything that they saw Jesus do in the three years that they spent with him. He is outside of our box and we quench the spirit when we ignore the waning flame and cover it up with, because of a fear of some sort of deceptive hyper-spiritual airflow. Remember the Pharisees because they did the same thing. So don't let skepticism turn into unbelief. Now, other people who are on the fence, they, you know, they're talking about what God is doing at Asbury and saying this, it's just too early to tell what this is all going to turn into. And so we should just wait to see the fruit. Sure. But check your heart to make sure that you are not hiding your unbelief under the guise of just being cautious and check and check to make sure that your past hurts and your negative experiences aren't filtering out what God could be trying to do around you. 
Some of these people, unfortunately, have large YouTube followings and social media followings, and their perspective has the potential of negatively affecting Christians with weaker faith. And that's really where this irks me. They've tried to place their own subjective definitions on what constitutes a revival, and quite frankly, they're missing out. How many people do you think wish that they would have waited just to see what would have came out of the outpouring in Acts chapter 10 or, or Acts chapter 2? See, the Bible doesn't call us to wait and see what fruit might come out of something so that we can better clarify a legitimate move of God. But it does tell us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And to taste, you've got to get close enough. Listen to me. If God walked into the room right now, wherever you are, and his glory filled the entire space, you would never err on the side of caution, but you would have to know what his presence feels like, what it sounds like, and what it tastes like. And the only way to know that is by already having an intimate relationship with Jesus. You see, I can go blind right now at this moment, boom, and I can tell who my wife is out of a thousand different women because I know her smell, I know her voice, and I know her touch. There's no easy way of saying this, guys. You need to ask the Holy Spirit that is already inside of you to lead you with wisdom and discernment. But for many people, that's just a really foreign prayer to pray. But you got to get uncomfortable here. Maybe we also need to stop and really answer the question of what is a revival? Because the dictionary tells us that it's an improvement in the condition or strength of something, which is very fitting for the kingdom. But I think it's actually much more simple than that. Revival is God's arrival. It is that simple. In God's arrival, there's an appreciation of his holiness, a passion for his word, there's repentance from sin, and a genuine turn to biblical righteousness. And this is exactly what's happening at Asbury. Sure, we don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now, but lives are being impacted. It's a spiritual awakening out of a state of spiritual slumber. And like the command, it's like a commanding officer calling the entire battalion to attention. Everyone listens and everyone comes to attention because revival cries out like Isaiah 60, where it says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You see, revival can be in your own home. It can be in your marriage. It can be in your local church. This is exactly what has stemmed from this Asbury revival. Students at Asbury say that they have been crying out for revival and learning about it in class, but they have not been able to experience it until now. It's always just head knowledge. But over the past 10 days, students and visitors have testified of experiencing healing from suicidal ideations, from depression, physical ailments. Uh, there have been demons being casted out. There's videos of all this all over. And this is why it does not make sense to wait and see what fruit comes out of this. The fruit is before you, and it's actually making national headlines. More than anything, though, we're actually seeing what revival isn't. Revival is not about hype and lights and sounds and feelings of euphoria. It's ordinary people who are hungry enough to cry out to God, and it has nothing to do with numbers or news coverage. It just is good that there's a lot of numbers and there's a lot of news coverage. Students at Asbury are praying and giving testimonies of how God is moving in their lives. And they've repeatedly said that there is actually nothing overly special about the school, the students, or any of that. There's no lamps, no fog lamps. There's no crazy sound effects. It's just several thousand people who are gathering to seek God's presence and the pureness of heart is there. It's drawing people from all over, from all other campuses, and they're encouraging people to do the same. And that's why Matthew 5, 8 says, Blesses the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And they are seeing it. This is the very mark of revival. A call out to God starting at the grassroots levels and initiated by individuals who are really by far the most depressed and the most confused generation that there ever was. Now think about this. Large colleges and universities across America have been the petri dish for demonic mindsets and just unrighteousness. What is evil has been made to look good and what is good has been made to look evil. But here's a small campus who are just setting the nation into motion 
and we're sitting here wanting to wait to see what might happen? One thing that I haven't heard anybody talk about on the internet is the importance of corporate worship and gathering and how this is happening in Asbury. And listen, don't get me wrong. The same God who's encountering the people in Kentucky is the same God who can encounter you wherever you are. He's omnipresent and you can experience him right where you are from anywhere. But when there's a move of God and the people of God come together to worship, the body is impacted differently. Okay. You, you feel the heat the closer that you get to the fire. And if there's a fire burning steadily at Asbury, and there, then there is legitimacy in people wanting to go there, flying across the country, driving across the country to get closer to the heat. So in this case, I would actually disagree with some YouTubers who are out there saying that, you know, there's no need to go out there. There's no, no such thing as like a Holy Spirit hotspot. Again, please, please don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. God can, he can speak to you in your dreams, in your prayer closet. But I believe that there's certain things that you can only catch in a corporate setting. And 2 Chronicle 20 actually depicts this perfectly. In verse 4, it says that Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all of the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. That means that mothers, fathers, and children, they all gathered and they worshiped and they fasted together. And in that setting, they caught a move of God that would go down in history. So verse 22, later on, it says, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against their enemies who had come out against Judah so that they were routed. It was the joyful shout in a corporate setting that caused this move of God and this great victory in Israel. Now, we, as men, we need to remember this with our families. Oftentimes, we actually want to excuse ourselves from attending church, and we believe that maybe we can just do it alone at home in our Bibles. Like, yeah, that's, that is good. You should be doing that. But that's not how the body works. You see, a toe is just a toe, and it has no purpose unless it's actually attached to the body. Because when that toe is not attached to the body, it's going to just shrivel up and die, and that's exactly what happens to your faith whenever you are not connected to the body of Christ. If you're looking for more challenging content to help you grow in biblical masculinity, check out more videos like this one and tune into the Becoming Men podcast. Until next time, continue to march.